Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today, I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as... Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Jeremy Sear. Hello, Steve. I, I do actually Jeremy. describe myself as other things. I just don't have a bio on Twitter at the moment. That's right. Intentionally, people, that is a blank segment because Jeremy doesn't have a bio. <gasps> it's not a reflection on him. It's just that I didn't want to make up any words to represent him. I'm like a blank space. You're like a blank check. Mr. Cellophane. Can, can't even tell that I'm here. Your body's writing checks that you... I don't know. I'm running out of ideas. No. <laughs> anyway, it's Twitter. There, I type things on it and things, things come across and people can read them. But not a bio, apparently. Jeremy, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, well, I don't really tend to mention any of the political stuff uh, or any of the <laughs> online stuff. It, uh, it, that's completely secret, uh, as long as you don't like type my name into Google, in which case all manner of terrifying things come up. Um, so in social settings, I tend to just introduce myself as, hey, I'm Jeremy and I'm a family lawyer and... Um, <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what the person would be. It depends on the scenario. I don't, I, I find that, yes, I don't, I don't have a spiel. Which is fine. What, what does it look like to be Jeremy, the family lawyer? Well, it's, it's a bit of a relief actually, because it took me a very long time to figure out what type of law I wanted to do. Um, I, I started off doing legal aid crime and I did mm-hmm. then a lot of general stuff, at the bar, and then I went to the country, and I none of it really. I didn't have anything that really grabbed. I mean, there was. I think there was some satisfaction in doing legal aid crime, in the sense that you were helping out. You were helping people who were kind of at the very bottom end of of society, and where, where society was just trying to throw away um, the key and not. And you'd have people who had miserable situations who really needed just help getting out of it, particularly people with drug problems um, and, and the services are just not there and society just wants to throw them in jail, which is also counterproductive because um, it doesn't, it, it wrecks their lives permanently and, and it makes, uh, it actually also costs society a lot to do it. And anyway, it was a bit of an infuri- it was a bit of a sad area to be working in, but it felt, you felt like you could do some good. But on the other hand, anyway, I ended up um, not tinkering with family law at all until I was in the country and then it became part of a general practice that I joined and I discovered that there's, it's not, I always thought it would be really depressing. I always thought it would be people at the worst time in their lives and, mm. and that must be a miserable thing to deal with every day. But I reckon there's actually a lot of satisfaction in it as an area of law. It's, it's ordinary people with just one of the, you know, the sort of base human problem that you're, that many of us in our lives are going to have to go through. These aren't people who are, you know, corporate litigators and so forth these are ordinary people and and it turns out that at the time where you go through a separation people often become their worst person and they do awful things and that is depressing to deal with but on the other hand if you're if you you can help the person who's on the receiving end of that um stand up for themselves you you get to stand up for people who are in really vulnerable positions and yes. sometimes you do end up having the, the person who's on the other side, but you can still do some good in that case by helping them, helping, well, 
overall, it looks like you're reining them in, but you're but you're also it's also in their interests to do that. So you can you can both do them some good, but also do everyone some good by reining people in and, and helping put everything on a constructive track. And it, and there's a lot of satisfaction in it. There's also a lot of frustration in it at the moment because the federal government is massively underfunding the um, the courts, particularly and and family law is a federal thing, so it's the, mm. the federal courts. Um, they're, they're letting judges retire and not replacing them even when they've got lots of warning that they're going to retire because they've got, oh, like they know the age at which they're going to retire. They're just not yeah. replacing them. So you've got these, a, a system which is massively under-resourced at the moment. And the upshot of that is ridiculous delays of months and years um, before you get to final hearings. It means courts have to make decisions on an interim basis where they can't really consider the evidence properly. There's a lot, there, there's some problems in the system at the moment um, which shouldn't be there, and, and and the effect of these problems is, you know, terrible outcomes for for kids sometimes, and and so forth, um, or not optimal outcomes uh, that you would get if the court had the resources to actually hear the evidence and, and resolve things. But you know, obviously there's finite resources, but the problem is it does seem to be that the court's workload is going up and the court resources to deal with it are going down, and so you don't get the same outcomes that you that perhaps you would get if the law was being um, if, if they had the time to sit down and, and do it properly. But on the other hand, it's still an area full of um, – there, there is still law in it that has um, – although there are some frustrating aspects of it, I think you can do a lot of good in it. And so I'm, I'm actually – and this has only been in the last, what, um, probably four years yes. since I discovered – and I'd, I'd been a lawyer since – God, uh, I don't know. 2003 or something like so it's been a long time it took me a while to find that this is an area i wanted to specialize in um but yeah and that's kind of been a big relief because otherwise you're sort of putting around going i've i'm being a lawyer and there's some satisfaction to you know advocating a case and so forth but i'm not really sure what area i want to be doing and i put family law to one side early on i, I don't know why I, I think yeah i just thought it, it's an area that that Actually, it's probably a gender thing too. It's like it's an area that's really disparaged, and it's one of the areas that have more female practitioners in it than most areas. Yes, and it's I think it's kind of it's kind of downplayed, and I, I wasn't really conscious of why at the time. But yeah, anyway, I'm glad I'm glad that I'm doing it now. So I finally found an area where I think I can do some good, apart from ranting Excellent. about politics on the internet, obviously. <laughs> Do you find as a male lawyer in that environment that um, your clients are generally male or it's a, a, a fairly broad mix? It's a fairly broad mix. I'm, I'm in a practice where the other um, family lawyer is female. Yes. And so, And I've, I've just come back to Melbourne. So a lot of the client base is people who, um, I mean, she was the family practice before I came. Um, so I'm not sure if that's what the balance is. Um I had a pretty even mix in the country. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I can't. I don't think that. I don't. There might. There probably are. I, I imagine in a lot of situations when you when it's a, a, a female client who is escaping from a male abuser, mm. they probably often want to have a female lawyer. Maybe, but on the other hand, like it's it could be one of those things where. Sometimes um, women in those situations might not 
because uh, we sometimes women can be women's harshest critics. It's the whole thing of if you're mm, yeah. if you would the, the the standard wisdom for criminal um, lawyers is, is that well it used to be anyway, but I don't, I don't imagine it's changed. But anyway, the, the the idea was that if you were doing a if you were a defence lawyer, um, you wanted to and you were doing a, a rape trial or something, you wanted to have um, women on the jury because they judge other women harsher than the men do, which is horrible. So I didn't, yeah. didn't end up doing those cases, but um, yeah. So I don't know. I, although I t- no, I tend to think I I, t- I tend to think you probably do have if if you if you're a female client, probably would prefer, I don't know. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to make any assumptions on how how people what what they want in terms of their their lawyer when they go through. I mean, there might be some female clients who who who've got this idea of a of a male lawyer being a certain type of. Um, Maybe a person who can stand up to their their bullying ex or something. I don't know. It's. I think I think we're all playing in stereotypes there. So there's there's mm. we're going to fall fall short. Um, no, my my practice is fairly mixed, but probably slightly more female heavy at the moment. I know so little about the law that in that in itself is probably criminal. Uh, when we talk no, about, it's fine. <laughs> Were you always interested in the law? Are you doing what Year 11 Jeremy thought he would be? I am doing what Year 11 Jeremy thought he would be, but that's a terrible, terrible reason to be doing something. Year 11 <laughs> Jeremy thought, hey, oh, my God, this is the most embarrassing thing. Uh, I, no, it's not the most. I'm, I'm sure I'll find something else as this goes on. Um, but there, yeah, Year 11 Jeremy quite quite enjoyed high school debating. Um, yes. One of the things he, he was good at. So he thought, you know, what's like high school debating? Being a lawyer, so he became a lawyer. Uh, he went to uni, so I you know, worked hard in year twelve, and although I had all the privilege of being at a privileged school and so forth, but yeah, got to uni, went and did law. Um, decided after three years that it hadn't really grabbed me at that point, so I thought, um, you know what, I really want to be an astronaut. So I'll go off and do science and engineering for a while. So I did. Wow. That. So I did that, which kind of totally fits in with the ex-private school kid going and and locking. Taking away a, a place from uh, from somebody who ha- actually had an idea what they wanted to do with their lives, um, and they're just sort of dilly dallying around. That was in the old days when hex wasn't obscene, so you could do this. Mm. Um, yes. I imagine that 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 would be terrifying to any of the poor kids who who have you know ruined the education system for coming behind us. But so I did science engineering for a while uh, for two years, and that was really interesting. I'd never done physics before in my life, so yeah. and, I, and that was fascinating. And yeah. Um, it was really interesting, but but after two years of that, I kind of started feeling that I should probably just finish what I started and go back and just complete a professional degree. And I didn't want to be at uni for the rest of my life, uh, so I did that. And then I did an arts honors year in history for no particularly good reason because <laughs> what's this? Isn't Why there not? is it? Isn't there a musical like what do you do with a BA in English or something? There's, there's, there's a, <laughs> <laughs> the BA in history is no no better. Um, anyway. So I finished that off and, and you know, became a lawyer. So I forgot what the question was. Uh, doing what Year 11 Jeremy thought he would be doing. Yeah, so round, after swings and roundabouts, I kind of am doing what Year 11 Jeremy thought he'd be doing. Um, although not not with the political stuff because I was always interested in politics, but I'm not yes. doing the same politics stuff that Year 11 Jeremy thought he would be doing because Year 11 Jeremy had been raised in a household where um, – you know, unions were the worst things in the world. They were smacked, you know, they, they, they had strikes wow. and they wrecked the, the, you know, they made the public transport not work and, and they were yes. they were menaces. 
Steve, they were menaces. They, Those people. They were wrecking this country. We needed an ABCC to take them down. I don't know if that was. <laughs> did you see the stuff today about the ABCC? Um, back, somebody linked from a story from 2007, just before the former government shut it down, and the um, they they had these ridiculous powers. That's what they want to bring back to um, drag. Like there was a, a the story was there's a, Mel- a Melbourne Uni academic or something who's walking past a building site and sees a fight, and the ABCC had the power to drag that person in for questioning. They're an innocent person. They've got nothing to do with it. Drag them in for mm. questioning, disappear them. They can't talk about it to anyone. Like they had these unbelievable Gosh. sort of police state type powers for this organisation. that They weren't. They were basically like the terror powers except even more bizarre. That's what the old ABCC was, which is exactly the same thing as what the Libs are trying to bring back and use as a double dissolution trigger. Um, except you're not my guest, Dave, and this isn't something wonky, so I should... Yes, <laughs> that's that's for tomorrow night's podcast. Yes, look, it was only a moment of a matter of minutes before we did start talking about politics. Anyway, that's it's not unreasonable. Yes, um, oh, yeah. I hadn't heard that, and that is quite frankly amazing. Oh, it's yeah, there's every time you think that there's no depth to which they won't sink, you discover that yeah, there is. Um, which is the main reason I have a political podcast and rant about politics on Twitter, because my goodness, it's infuriating. So what transformed Jeremy's views from, I would assume, the dinner table conversations where unions are evil to... I mean, at school, the, we, we were... Conversations they are now. Yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't tell you about, about the um, kind of sad person that I was where I was at, angry with Keating and really sad when Houston lost the election in 93. <laughs> And um, should have bought him a birthday cake. Uh, well, that's right. Um, and I didn't, you, you know, Kelly O'Dwyer. Uh, not personally, I am aware of the lady, uh, yes. the, the assistant treasurer. So, I, I believe that. So, I was at one of my one of the schools I was at in secondary school. Um, I was at with her now husband, mm. and in first year uni, where I still considered, I considered myself a liberal. Jeremy. <clears throat> Anyway, he actually confessing this to the something wonky crowd. Dave occasionally makes references to it. <laughs> no, he, he um, so Jonathan actually signed me up for the Melbourne Uni Liberal Club in O Week or something. And oh, I, I don't, I just don't, not sure it was O Week. I, I might, I let him do it. He was branch stacking. <laughs> it was like that was exactly. <laughs> I couldn't have had a more transparent introduction to actual liberal politician type people. But, yeah, they, he, he signed me up to Branch State, which unfortunately means that my, my foray in liberal politics did involve making a liberal person presumably very happy. But on the other hand, I console myself by thinking that I also would have made some young liberal very unhappy. So, you know, yeah. swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. Yep. So then, then I had an argument with the um, people, the, the student uni uh, newspaper at Daniel. Oh, you're not Daniel. I can't edit this out the same way. Damn it! That I can't when I make it. You just play on, and we will make it tidy. I can't in the, on the podcast, on the other podcast. I can say, sorry, Daniel. I'll just go again. <laughs> Doesn't work on this one. No. Anyway, Melbourne Uni student newspaper was Frago, and um, I was talking with the editors there, who were, you know, slightly older uni students. And we had an argument, and the argument was about um, about private schools. And I'd always been brought up with the whole line of, well, we work really hard to send you to a private school, and we sacrifice holidays, and 
Um, we sacrifice all these other things. All these other you know, people sending their kids to, pri- to public schools or state schools, they're, they're off having holidays and cavorting around with their money and we work hard and make sacrifices and so forth. Mm. Um, and so it had always been presented as a, you know, why, why shouldn't people um, exercise that privilege? To you know, why, why shouldn't they do what they can for their children with their money that they've worked hard for? Um, uh, many years away from discovering that actually there's also all these other elements of privilege as to exactly how they got that money in the first place. But that's yes. a separate issue. But the point they made to me was, okay, so your parents worked really hard to do it. What did you do? Why exactly did you deserve this privileged education over all of the other kids of your year level who mm-hmm. didn't get yeah. it, whose parents didn't buy? And I'm like, that's a good point. I didn't do anything yeah. special to deserve that. Um. That is completely unearned privilege. And, of course, you know, most of the kids at Melbourne Uni are from private schools, or they certainly were then. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I was like, that's not really very fair at all, is it? I do not. This is not a meritocracy. I didn't, it's not, I didn't get. I mean, I worked hard in year 12 and got the marks to do law and whatever at Melbourne Uni, but I still had the massive, you know, step up um, of being at a school where the resources were there to get me there, the atmosphere was one of academic achievement, where yes. um, yeah, there's all these privileges that are inherent in the private school thing, which is why the numbers at uni that were from private schools were so high. And, yeah, I hadn't done anything to deserve it. That, that privilege was just luck of the draw. So, yeah, they made that point to me, and so I gradually, I gradually sort of started figuring out, hang on a second, the, the right-wing perspective assumes that you're working, that, that it's a meritocracy, that everybody's getting there off their own bat. But that's patently false. They're not. And if you don't give... If, if, we, don't, if we have a system where we're advantaging less talented people just because they have of the lack of who their parents are and more talented people um, who, who have parents who can't afford it for whatever reason, whether, whether because the parents are lazy spendthrifts who go away on holidays or for any <laughs> other reason, it doesn't really matter what the merit is of the parents because... Yes. Uh, the kids haven't heard it. Anyway, so, yeah, and I gradually sort of started a, a slow process of figuring out that because um, the other thing they got you with at uni if you were um, from a private school, like they got you, that was all the time of compulsory student unionism versus Kennett's voluntary student unionism. Yes. And, and the argument there is why should you have to pay for services that you don't use? And you know, I gradually came to the conclusion that, oh, hang on, wait a minute, there's, there's actually quite a lot of services at uni that it's quite good to have there for when people do need them. Um, mm. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard to come from a, a background where, you know, whatever you have you guard jealously and you, you figure that it's yours by right because people who've got stuff don't really like the idea that, you know, they got it through privilege. And it takes a while to come around to, you know what, it would be a better world in, where we actually – um, you know, where people had access to quality health and quality education and, and, you know, you were, you don't want communism, you don't want to have the exact outcomes, but where people have a decent, um, I think we just get better results as a community if everybody, if, if the people are progressing based on merit, you get pe- the people who can achieve things getting, uh, and they, you, you remove the shackles that a, that the current system has where there's plenty of people who would be able to do great things for themselves, but also for the rest of us who are held back and held down and and they're not given their full um, opportunity 
to develop those talents. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to the detriment of all of us. And then you know, health is, is a kind of a separate issue. Health is more along the lines of, do you really want to have a situation, a, a society where if people get sick, they get bank, you know, they, they get grounded to the earth and bankrupted uh, yes. and where people who are poor don't get, you know, they don't get, they can't get tested for when there's a, when they have a cancer, they can't get a scan and, and then they die. And I mean, do we want to, and also obviously universal healthcare has actually um, it, it's a more economically sensible system as well because you have the greater gut buying power of the government and it can, but having a single purchase, of you, it actually means that you, you get your quality health care much cheaper per person than under, say, the American system, obviously. But, yeah, so gradually over time picked up how these things work and then gradually became more aware of my own privilege in all these other areas as well. Mm. But it took time. But, you know, that was a positive thing that happened at uni. The transformation of your political views, yes, which are which are ongoing. I have hardly reached enlightenment. <laughs> Although, you know, but, you know, obviously, obviously, everything I say on Twitter is incredibly perceptive. Incredibly, and one hundred percent correct. Mm. Um, there, but for the grace of God, go I, mate. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to all of those things. I don't pretend to have the answer. By the way, welcome everyone to something, Jeremy, the something wonky spinoff. <laughs> I get very ranty. That's good. It's this is what the whole idea of humans at Twitter, Jeremy, is to learn about you. And if you rant, that's what it is. I'm so nervous about this. Like this is the first time in 40 years, not quite 40 years, almost 40 years, uh, where anybody sat down and said, <laughs> "Explain who you are to everyone." <laughs> oh gosh, there's a responsibility on me. My first advice is to try and comfort you and say don't feel nervous this is just a conversation with you about things that interest you and who you are and those sorts of things it's not meant to be an in-depth incisive uh let's distill jeremy sear down to five key points and that's who he is well that's and secondly right. what are the five key points and who is jeremy sear <laughs> uh that's a funny question <laughs> well let, let's go down this path then where do you find your peace Oh, good question. Um, well, um, probably loved ones and and, I, and and the kittens and um, I don't know. I, I what settles what settles my brain? I'm not sure. Um, how do people normally ask that question? Like, I have a nerdy obsession with board games, <laughs> but. I, I'm not sure that I can't justify that. Nothing to justify. What is it about board games that interests you and attracts you? I I just find the different ways that they can explore, like with components on a table, you can explore different um, ideas. Really fascinating. And um, I had a, a, okay, actually I'm not sure that I can just go into this in any more detail without becoming, coming out as the world's nerdiest person. So I shall. (laughs) We've had nerdier, Jeremy. It's fine. I did discover this this week. Um, well, I, I was aware of there's a there's a, a game that I'm going to have to get a copy of that's been out of print for a while. But I, I had an idea um, last year. I, I really I liked the idea of develop of having a um, devising a board game where it modelled the the tension between that you have in politics between uh, and sorry in an Australian context between uh, parties that just want to. Um, echo back at the public what the public already believes. Yes. 
um, and how that works and how that can work for you politically. The idea of, of a politician as, as supposed to be somebody who's just listening to the public and doing and echoing that, that back as opposed to people who have a perspective on the world and have a, have a, a policy platform or have ideas and their job to try and persuade people to you know to accept those ideas or to or the, the the logic of those ideas and then and put them into into practice and how you would and and the tension between the latter where you really have to be working out to try and persuade people which is slower but ultimately perhaps more effective or the former where you're just one of many people who can echo people the the, the voting public back at themselves anyway i thought mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to develop a, a game along those lines I had some ideas of how you would do that in the mechanics um and then i saw again this week the, there's a, a, a game that I've previously been aware of but had forgotten about, um, which is a, a German board game called Die Marke, which turns out to be very similar. It's it's the, I mean, you can see why it's you know racing off the shelves at, at Target or something because um, it's it's about <laughs> it's it's the very popular subjects that, that people are always wanting to see more of in in their board games and, and media and so forth. Uh, German politics uh, in the post war period. Because um, they have a proportional representation system there, and it's how, and it, and it looks like it models something similar to that. And it looks really interesting, so I'm going to have to find a copy of that because it looks like that they travelled forward in time to see my idea, and then travelled back in time to 1986 to have that idea first. Um, and anyway, so I'm going to have to give that a go. But um, they're they're just really interesting. They're very. I find, for some reason I, my brain finds it very soothing trying to figure those things out. And they there is it's a I don't know Steve what, what's have you played modern the modern board games, or, we, or when I say board games, you're thinking like, what are you thinking? Well, that was going to be my next question. When you say board games, I'm guessing you don't necessarily mean Monopoly and Squatter. Uh, no, never actually played Squatter. Um, no, very fun. Mon- Monopoly is kind of a broken game, although there's a lot of interest. There's some very interesting stories about about Monopoly because Monopoly is actually half a game uh, when. Really? Yeah, it was. It, in fact, it's it's amazing the number of terrible board games that are out there that were there originally to make a political point. Um, Monopoly was originally there uh, because if I, if I get the story right, um, the lady who invented the carriage return in typewriters. Yes. Yeah, you know, the thing of ding. Okay, so um, she invented Monopoly originally, uh, and there was a. It was trying to sell the idea of this. Um, Landlords' tanks to try and that, that would even things up in in America at the I think at the turn of the century, last century, um, and it, in the situation where um, the rich owned all of the property and everybody were tenants, which seems far fetched, Steve, and really hard to imagine how the world could have got to that point. Anyway, and so she, re- she invented a thing called the landlords' game, and the first part of it is here's the terrible world that we're in right now where we screwed over by the landlords, and the second bit was when people agree, the rules flip. And then suddenly it's under this new, um, I forgot what the tax that they were proposing was called, but it was something that was going to equalise things out. Anyway, and everybody could be able to see what a nicer world it is under this system. Of course, people didn't, that's not how it ended up going because people liked the bloody-minded um, brutality of bankrupting each other. Mm. And so the game, so the second half of the game got dropped, or uh, well, so it wasn't preceded with when, when Parker Brothers ended up buying it. And um, they just ram- so Monopoly is the the first half of the game, which is the horrible nightmare side, uh, and that's what we ended up with. But Gosh. And, and obviously Monopoly's Monopoly is 
gets a worse rap than it deserves because people play it badly. They play it with whether you get all this extra money in the game from free parking. So the you game made up ends. Because how does the game end? The game, the game ends with people going bankrupt. Well, yes, people aren't going to go bankrupt. all the property or everyone else getting out of money. But if you put too much money in it, nobody goes bankrupt and you're just rolling dice and moving around a board forever. Are you saying that it's like when government subsidise the economy to help keep it afloat? Um, well, I suppose, because in real life, you're not trying to have everybody go bankrupt. In Monopoly, though, you are trying to have everybody go bankrupt so the bloody yes. thing can end. So when communists play Monopoly, it's about prolonging the game. <laughs> Probably. I think I think a lot of the, pop, the um, popularity of Monopoly is that um, kids play it as like a... a it's, it's playing with money and buying things when you're kids and you can't actually do that in real life. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of playing it to Monopoly that has nothing to do with it as a game. Um, and also I th- imagine that was probably attractive to people in the Depression when it got really popular. Hey, look, we've got all this pretend money. It's like we can imagine yes. briefly that we have them. But no, but Monopoly is not really – there's been a giant – in the last 20 years there's been a giant development of board games that are completely – different to that they're games where people don't just you know go out and have to sit waiting for everybody to finish and games where people interact constantly throughout the game and and there's such an enormous variety of them now and like um you know everything from a game where there's a game called um galaxy trucker where you spend the first there's this giant pile of tiles on the table and everybody is grabbing them at the same time with one hand not two because you'd be cheating one hand at a time and you're putting together a a spaceship you've each got a a board and you've got to put together a spaceship that has um you know various components crew quarters cargo bits lasers shields whatever and you'll put together your ships and then um person who finishes first grabs the first player token um but you're all grabbing from the same pile Once you've all finished your ships, which may be terrible pieces of crap with with massive weaknesses in them, um, the second half of the game is you then fly through the galaxy and you try to pick up, get valuable cargo from planets. But you also have, you know, fly through asteroid fields where they're trying to smash bits off your ship or pirates trying to take off. And if they take off a bit of your ship that half of your ship is attached to, you will lose half your ship. Um, And it's it's a really fun game. But, like, they they have everything from that to this DeMarco. You have... It's hard, I'm not. I can't possibly summarise. There's an, there, there is a whole website, a giant website devoted to this thing called Board Game Geek, and it's it's this whole huge thing. And yeah, anyway, I find them interesting. Understandably, I need a re-education. There's a lot to it. I, I mean, yeah, it's incredibly nerdy, but but it's it's kind of sociable nerdy. Like it's hypothetically more more sociable than you know sitting at the at the Xbox or something, which is also fun. But that's a different thing. Yes, it is. I, I can. I was listening to your your um, humans of Twitter with the the lad from Good Game, um, Nick Richardson. Yes, yes. and uh, yes, your your because um, you because well, you do do it socially. You play you play the the um, Plants vs Zombies with your with your son on the on the couch, and and you have the you have the literacy of you can do the the, th- the third person the three D controls thing, obviously. Yes, I've I've got that bit down. Yeah, which I think is a real barrier for people who are just slightly older than us because they look at it and like, I'm walking around looking at this, the ground. Yeah, the, I, and I do understand that the one stick to look, one stick to move is quite a hurdle, but once you get it, it's incredible. Yeah, um, but it's not intuitive to first new, and, and I, I understand why people get given this thing and thrust into their hands and they're, where do I look? And they're too busy looking at their thumbs. Yeah, it, it doesn't play well together. No, I don't know how we. I don't really know how you learn it either. Like it's, 
it's like how did you learn to type? It's kind of once you've been doing it for long enough, it's really hard to imagine yeah, how that's how did you learn to drive a car? It's perseverance and not crash. How awesome would it be to get to that point in like flying a helicopter where you could just like with with a, a, a flick of your the, the neurons and you just want to go that way and off you go and you can adjust all the different control surfaces and that'd be amazing. That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> Apparently, the podcast is now. <laughs> Apparently, the podcast is now. What things about uh, that Jeremy would like to do that hasn't? <laughs> it's it's an enabling thing, Jeremy. We allow you to express yourself. Oh, thanks, Steve. Anyway, politics. That's what I do on the internet. You do, and and uh, I uh, commend to people the something wonky podcast. If you haven't listened. Uh, Jeremy is one half of the the hosting team there. He and and Dave, who is another one of the the podcasts in this series, um, get together on a mostly weekly basis and, well, rant slash commiserate with each other at the state of Australian politics. Uh, And it is both educational and delightful and depressing, all in one fell swoop. Thanks, Steve. You've you've been a guest, Dave. I have been. I, I won't say I was... A very good one, but certainly I loved being a part of it. Oh, I enjoyed. Um, I very much enjoyed it, doing it with you. And yeah, you're right. It's a really. Why can't Australian politics be less? Different? We have we have a section on there that we really don't want to do, but yes. but feel like we have to. There's a section which is Australia versus humanity, which is pretty much. This is we can't deal with the idea that what Australia is presently doing to refugees is going to be how it stays, that, that we're going to just accept this and go, oh, well, that's the way it is now. Australia is a country when people seek refuge, we brutalise them and imprison them on remote islands indefinitely. They haven't committed a crime. They'll have no access to the courts. We will treat them as in, in, badly as we can in an attempt to bully them into staying overseas in danger. And we'll do this because the we, we've convinced the public that these people aren't genuine refugees. They're just risking their lives on leaky boats because they want to come here and build a better life for themselves, which is apparently... Like queue jumpers, Jeremy. That's right, as if there were a queue. And and keep ignoring the fact that Howard, Howard created the, the idea of jumping a queue. So they're not in a bit where there is a queue. But insofar as there's the intake of people who come on boats and the intake of people who are um, somehow going to get picked out by us to take on humanitarian visas. Um, yes. The idea that when somebody arrives on a boat, that takes a place from the person who would otherwise come. That's entirely artificial. That was John Howard saying, hang on a second, if somebody arrives on a boat, I'm going to take a place away from that other person and I'm going to point to that poor refugee in equally miserable circumstances and I'm going to say, don't blame me, John Howard, who's taken the place from you. Blame that other refugee. That's what it is. And the idea that that's... Anyway, the idea that we're going to accept that infuriates me beyond... Like I, I find it really hard to focus. Like there's a lot of political things that I'd like to focus on. I'd like, to, I'd like us to be building better education systems and better health system. And I'd, like going back to being a one-tier health system rather than the idea that you have um, the, the people who have the money and the power actually use the, a, a second system, the private system, and therefore have no incentive to make the public system any good. Like I think that's a terrible idea. And the, and the same with the, the private education system. I think having private education and health systems is terrible because it breaks the public systems. And, and to the detriment of all of us. But I'd like to be focusing on those sorts of things. Or, you know, why can't we have equality before the law for, for gay people? And the, oh, the LGBTI people, sorry. The idea that the idea that, that is about whether marriage is a good thing and, and or Lyle Shelton's line that that's actually about, um, what, surrogacy? As if surrogacy's got any part of the bills that we're talking about? 
anyway, all those other things that, well, in fact, that's an issue that we should just sort and move on from. Anyway, the fact that we still have to argue about that is absurd. But education, health and public services and things and you know, public transport. And remember the old days when Australia was capable of building railway lines? Back, back a century mm. ago, we must have been superhumans. Anyway, <laughs> like that's what I'd like to be focusing on. But I find it really hard to get past the basic, the fundamental moral thing of we are locking up people indefinitely without charge for nothing more than wanting to come here and either flee. But say, say the people who think they're, not, they're only economic refugees are right. The people who are economic refugees are pretty bloody motivated would-be Australian citizens. Yes. Why the hell? The idea that they're coming here to take our jobs and also sit on welfare is absurd. You can't do both. But the idea, like, these are people who desperately want to come here and build a new life and build this country in the way that all the other waves of immigration have. And the idea that we should be driving people who are really motivated away, particularly when we are a sparsely populated country, um, paranoid about the, the, the much more populous countries to our north, and we're paranoid about that, but we're like, we don't want to let people come in gradually where, and, and sort of have them become Australian citizens and build this country. We'd rather just do Fortress Australia until the pressure snaps slightly more violently, which is bizarre. But anyway, but apart from that, you don't know. The, the idea that these people are only economic refugees, as if that means don't let them come, but the idea that, that they're not genuine refugees given the hardships they've gone to, and the idea that given that we don't actually do any real assessment We've shut down the whole It's also secretive. We've shut it all down so that nobody really knows what's happening to these people in the countries they're fleeing from. We certainly don't take any atten- pay any attention to what happens to them when we send them back. And the government's just like, oh, no, we've stopped the boats so people aren't drowning at sea. Well, what happened to the people who would have been coming on the boats? Well, they're just being killed in the countries they would have fled or the places where you've sent them back to. And, they, and you've got all the Muppets who are saying, the right-wing people who just fundamentally do not want to share their stuff with people from overseas who don't speak the same language or something. That's fundamentally all it is. It's, we've got good stuff. We don't want to share it with poorer people. It's a huge not-my-problem oh, situation. Yeah. God, it's awful. And the idea that... Uh, anyway, so anyway, we have a section on the podcast, which is which I'd like to be getting shorter, <laughs> which is the horrible stuff we're doing it's against a- humanity each week. And, and it, it keeps growing. This week's... Australia versus humanity is insane. There's so much. I I don't even know what to. I can't. I want to not have to it's do it anymore, get, Steve. But it's I can't. It's only going to get shorter, Jeremy. It's only going to get shorter, Jeremy, by you outsourcing it to other podcasts. Well, we did ask the Weekly Hour to, to if they could take it up for us. <laughs> um, I'd be happy to, but then again, then I, I was like, finally, we can stop doing it if somebody else p- picks it up. But then I was thinking, no, it probably is something that we need more people to be doing. So just because other people take it up doesn't mean we shouldn't do it anymore. Yeah. <sighs> it's like nagging yeah. at the back of my conscience. It feels like it's a thing that we keep. We need to keep trying. Like, like it's it's got to. We can't. We just can't accept it. There's so much pressure to just give up and move on. And I just figure that that makes us part of the problem. Yeah, we can't let that slide. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry, I get a bit ranty when that subject comes up. I don't, I don't think you noticed, but yeah. Look, I hadn't, I couldn't tell. <laughs> Given the opportunity, Jeremy, what reality TV show would you star in? Ooh. I don't think I've ever. I don't really watch much reality TV. Um, I did once send in a, a, a um, audition tape to Survivor. Yes. Which seems implausible. You remember they did the Australian one? 
But if the very dodgy one hosted by Lincoln Howe. I have no idea. My friend, I wasn't really watching it at the time, but my friend really wanted to go on it. Um, and he he played the guitar and, and had a song about how he I, – I can't remember. I, I remember that the lyrics went something along the lines of um, he wants to go on Survivor. Um, he used to be a pizza driver. When he thinks about going on, on, a, on the show, his mouth fills with saliva. Oh, quality AAA rhyme. I mean, you can't get fast rhymes like that. Um, yes, so he did that, and I did one um, where I was demonstrating my amazing bushcraft skills by pulling um, prepackaged foods out from behind bushes. Um, surprisingly enough, neither of us got an audition. <laughs> it's all right. Well, it's to hard to believe. But... Benefit. What's your benefit? It also meant that you guys didn't get on what was one of the, quite honestly, most diabolical TV shows of uh, the first decade of this millennium. Oh, it was- uh, if for no other reason than there was one challenge they had to abandon because the contestants just couldn't complete it. <laughs> what were they doing to them? I mean, I didn't watch it. I have no idea what happened to it. Well, it, it, it ended up being set in a fairly uh, coastal, remote part of South Australia, uh, almost in the depths of winter. So there was lots of wind and rain, which meant that nobody was in bikinis and everyone was rugged up most of the time. And they had to, in this one challenge, fire, I think it was an arrow, uh, off the top of a cliff down onto a target on the beach. <laughs> that uh, sounds like a terrible that, idea. It got worse because that day, for whatever reason, this huge weather system rolled in and it was massive gusting winds and rain, which meant that even if they did fire uh, a flaming arrow, by the time it got down to the target, it had blown out. Uh, and yeah, it, the, the, the challenge ended up going into late into the, the night and they just had to say, that's it. We're calling it. No one wins. What made them think that people like, wasn't the point of the show to try and you know, survive? What made the point, what made them think that, that, that people were going to become expert archers? I, I don't. There, there was a lot that was questionable about that entire series, including one of the finalists basically having a mental breakdown on television. Okay. <laughs> It, that it could was, have been me. It, yeah. <laughs> and instead of in weekly hour-long installments on a podcast, it could have been in vivid colour on television. Yeah. Hey, wait. Hey, on the middle break, that's not supposed to, That's for next season of Something Wonky. Shh. Oh, good. Spoilers. After the election. Uh, and there, there might man. be a breakdown depending on how that goes. I am so looking forward to this week's episode of Something Wonky because, of course, podcast time, we've had the revelation that the Prime Minister Turnbull has uh, asked the Governor-General to recall the Parliament so that they can try this ABC legislation that we uh, talked about before and that if the Senate don't pass it, he's going to call a double dissolution and uh, it is on like a very large monkey. Uh, It's going to be just chaos and consequently that has meant that electioneering has started already and we're three and a half months out from that date so god bless us all oh and and yeah there's there's a lot to say about that and i'm I'm loving the media today with their excitement over um over malcolm having apparently done some clever politicking because apparently steve (laughs) apparently (laughs) nobody could have told figured out that when they were doing the senate reform he he was going to use uh use the building commission thing as as a double dissolution trigger. Like nobody had any idea that was ha- going to happen except for everyone who was talking about it at the time. But apparently, <laughs> according to the dopes in the gallery this week, it's like a brilliant masterstroke and he tricked the Greens and 
And apparently yeah. um, Nick Xenophon was saying he, he had no idea that he might do something like that. And you're like, really, Nick? Really? Gosh. Can only put that down to the fact that they were all jet lagged after having a marathon sitting in the Senate and they just lost their minds on the Senate floor. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, there'll be plenty to talk about in this one. Ugh. See, this is why I prefer to talk about that stuff than me. Well, we got a fair chunk of Jeremy out in the process. It, it leads me to this final question, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, um, I have no particular new projects on the go uh, other than I'm working towards... I'm building my professional practice down back in Melbourne now that I've come back and sure. I'd like, um, what will we do? Well, keep building the podcast. Uh, now, now you have challenged me to come up with an actual plan of something new so that this time next year, I'll actually have something to say. That's a thing that, that was, it's, yeah, it's kind of gradual, Steve. I'm kind of thinking it's kind of this year is a, a consolidating things and sorting out things from the past and and building um, career and podcast and probably the podcast. I'd like I think Dave and I have some ideas for um, expanding the podcast and, and, and growing it a bit. Um, it did kind of uh, it's been such a depressing couple of years in Australian politics. I think mm-hmm. we I think we had sort of yeah. um, we were having the podcast was getting longer, uh, and I think we're trying to make it a bit punchier and more to the point now, and uh, and and build build an audience in in a way that I th- we've got some ideas for improving it. So I think I think we'll do that, and we'll probably do another live episode of it this year when they, for the election. Although again, if that turns out the way that the current polls say, then did you see today they were saying that the poll the polls were saying that um, a full like twenty five percent. More Australians think that the that Malcolm Turnbull can run the economy sensibly than the ALP. Like how uh, how do they? What does that even? How do I can't even finish a sentence because of that? <laughs> I'm still getting over the fact that uh, former Prime Minister Abbott appeared on uh, Paul Murray's show this week. Uh, so that makes it you know the 21st of March, I think it was. People for those playing at home, suggesting that the Turnbull government are angling. They're working to get voted back in on Abbott government policies and stuff that he'd done prior to to them taking power. Um, I'm pretty sure that they would want to distance themselves from everything he's done, right? Well, that's that's what um, Turnbull's whole what, what's he call it? Uh, um, change, but cons- with consistency or something. Consistency with change. Yeah. Um... <laughs> AKA, I'm not Abbott, people. But I really am. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not really Abbott, even though when you look at what I've been doing, it's very hard to see in what ways I'm not. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a depressing year about politics. Maybe, maybe I'll just spend the next 12 months doing what I can to try and make, you know, whatever small positive differences I can and, you know, have, maybe a humble ambition, maybe try to spread some kindness or something. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be nice to... Just do some. I don't know. I don't know, Steve. It's hard. I haven't got any great big projects. Does anybody have great big projects when you ask them that? Yes, yeah, some do. Not everyone. It, it, most of them are. I haven't thought about it, or they've got like these, uh, like you, the the what about Bob style baby steps. I'm going to increment and get some of these th- achievable things. Uh, but there are a few that drop out some bold, hairy, audacious goals. 
I could try to drive Richard Dreyfus mad. I I see that as completely possible. Mm. I think I think he'd get very annoyed if I showed up and wearing his gym jams. <laughs> I can see that. Just feels jump up and down in his son's bed with Tourette's. Yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. Watch what about Bob? People, it's a great. It film. is. Jeremy, thank you so much for the chance to chat today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, please know that uh, the things you've said today are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. That's a very kind thing to say, Steve. <laughs> you're welcome and I enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, very clearly you are on the Twitter. Are there other social accounts you want to admit to or alert us to? Uh, no, pretty pretty much at Jeremy Sear and the, the something wonky, uh, the other public ones. There may be some other ones out there, um, but... I don't officially admit to them, so I shall. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's they're probably the places to find me. Hearsay, Your Honour, he's leading the witness. <laughs> I do encourage everyone if if they are interested in uh, Australian politics and interested in a good rant uh, in a, a bit of a broader style than what we got today, then do subscribe to Something Wonky. Uh, follow them on Twitter. Check them out on you're on the iTunes and stuff, aren't you, Jeremy? Yeah, on the iTunes. Yep. There's your opportunity. Sign up, follow, and as you do with humans of Twitter, uh, of course, reviews and uh, the wonderful five-star reviews and and those sorts of things mean that we pop up higher uh, in iTunes uh, recognition lists and people get to hear about us, both of us. Mm. Uh, Given that we're not competing, why not subscribe to both? Absolutely. I I think that we – that's how podcasts have to work. We've got to all work together and – lift each other up and, until nobody's standing underneath us and my metaphor went horribly wrong there. Damn it. Like one big Jackie Lamb. Well, I was going to go with the, like the leg up thing, but we, like there's only so many leg ups you can do before there's like air underneath you and it just doesn't work. We could all be the coalition of common sense. <laughs> yes. I'm, I I have been enjoying this series. This is a really good podcast series. Well, it was. I, I appreciate it. It was. <laughs> it was. Gosh. <laughs> and we'll be again. Well, this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Jeremy Sear is indeed human. We can't really confirm that because we're not looking at each other. I, I could be like a clever AI. Don't turn.